we're starting a new series today, and um, because of that, I don't know that we have a current graphic, um, but the title of the message today is Free from Fear. Free from Fear. Now, there's a lot of fears, and um, I didn't write these all down, so you might laugh at me or correct me, but I, I believe arachnophobia is like the fear of spiders. And um, you can have, um, that's the last phobia I'm going to do like that. So you can have like a fear of heights, where like you're afraid to go up high, and uh, sometimes people are afraid to go up like on a really tall building, or sometimes they're afraid to go across bridges, or sometimes they're afraid to go like up into the uh, mountains, some of the mountains, because they're afraid of heights. Um, so there's many types of fear that you're probably very familiar with, but there's a lot of types of fear that you actually get in the middle of and aren't even conscious that you're in the middle of that fear. And you can see right now, this week, probably even today, that in our nation there are like so many fears. And not only in our nation, but all over the world, people are afraid of so many things. And again, your thoughts may be directed to like, well, yeah, like I'm afraid of uh, someone's going to shoot me with a gun, or I'm afraid of an accident, or I'm afraid of, um, you know, flying in an airplane. But actually, people have been conditioned by the world and by the devil to respond in fear to life itself. Think about this. This is the best illustration I can think of. And I'll, I, the illustration makes me a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to tell the illustration. If you've ever seen uh, a little dog that has been beat by its owner, that's why I'm uncomfortable with it, because I don't like people beating animals. Definitely not people. Um, and you get that little dog, or maybe you have a friend that has that dog, and you just raise your hand to like itch your nose. That little dog like cowers over and draws back, and sometimes they'll start peeing, you know, because they're so scared. And um, really, our society in so many ways is actually in that condition, a condition of inferiority, a condition of... Um, Wanting, having a desire inside to measure up because God created man and when he created us, male and female, then he, there is, we were made really for dominion, to have dominion over the earth and everything on the earth. And when the devil came, he took that dominion away. He stole that dominion. He deceived mankind so that we would give it up because he didn't have authority over us but he deceived us so that we would give it up, so he would then have it. Well, since then, man has been trying to get back that lost dominion. In other words, I want to be in charge. In other words, think of it like this. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what I can say. Nobody's going to tell me what I can wear. Nobody's going to tell me where I can go. Nobody's going to, you know, I'm not going to be anybody's slave, Right? You know, they're talking about like slavery and stuff like that in the news and all that, and um, which has been like a worldwide problem for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, uh, anyhow, I don't want to get on that whole discussion. But do you know that Romans 
chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 14. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 actually tells us about the condition of slavery. And I'm going to read in uh, William Barclay's translation. I'll start with verse 15, I'll go to verse 23. What then are we going... uh, to go on sinning because we're not under law but under grace? God forbid. Are you not aware that if you yield yourselves to anyone as slaves in order to obey them, you are the slaves of the person whom you have chosen to obey? In this case, either of sin, which leads to death, or of Obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thank God, you who used to be slaves of sin, (laughs) it's so good, have come to a spontaneous decision to obey the pattern of teaching to which you were committed. And since you have been liberated from sin, you have become the slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because unaided human nature cannot understand any other terms. Any other is what it says, but any other terms is kind of what he's inferring. Just as you yielded your members as slaves to uncleanness and lawlessness, which issues in still more lawlessness, so now you have yielded your members as slaves to righteousness and have started on the road that leads to holiness. When you were slaves of sin, you were free as regards righteousness. But then what fruit did you have? All you had was things of which you are now heartily ashamed. In other words, you understand you're serving sin and you had fruits, but now you kind of look back and you look at the fruits of that sin that you were serving, that you were willingly serving, and you're like, ooh, I don't even want to talk about that. Let's not, let's not discuss that. Let's like cover that up. Let's, let's, uh, uh, we don't really want to see that at all anymore. For the end of these things is death. Right? So the beginning of sin maybe doesn't look like death, but it actually is death in a small form, sort of like in a seed form, and then it produces death. But now, since you have been liberated from sin, praise the Lord, we've been set free from sin. Sin's not to be our master, is not to have dominion over us, and the only way that you can be set free from sin is through Jesus Christ. Not through discipline or self-discipline or self-training, but it's only through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, the life, or really Zoe, life as God has it. And since you have become slaves of God, the fruit you enjoy is designed to lead you on the road to holiness. And its end is eternal life. Or literally, literally, literally in the Greek, it's zoe, aeonius zoe. In other words, what is zoe? That's the word for life. If you look in the Gospel of John and you could look in the Greek, you see uh, in the, you know, life and it's zoe, 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 zoe. A lot of times I like to read the words, uh, uh, what do you call it? Instead of reading the English word, I like to read the Greek word because I'm so used to hearing the English word. When I hear the Greek word, it stands out more, and I'm like, whoa, this is significant, especially with Zoe, because it is life the way God has life, and it is the very nature of God himself. 
So Jesus died, and he said in John 10, 10, uh, the devil has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The word for life is zoe. So Jesus said, I have come that you might have life the way God has life. And that you would have the nature of God, the exact same nature that God himself has. That is uh, mind-blowing. That is life-altering. That Jesus said, the whole reason I came is so you can live like God and I live. That you don't have to live the way you've been living. That you don't have to fight each other. That you don't have to try and jockey for a position amongst each other. That you don't try to have to accomplish your own things and be self-centered and just look at yourself. But you can live the way God lives because you have the nature of God when you receive Jesus Christ. I have come that you might have Zoe and that you might have it in abundance. Right? If he said, like, well, you just have a little sliver of it, uh, we'd be excited about the sliver because it's beyond this world. It's actually in another dimension. It is from the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not subject to the world, rules of this world, but the world is actually subject to the rules and the laws of the kingdom of God. So you can actually change your world if you live out of the kingdom of God. Jesus went to the cross, took all of our sin, took all of our sickness, took poverty, took every bit of the curse. He didn't, he didn't miss one bit of it. And then he rose again from the dead. And as soon as he came back, when he came back, he stayed for 40 more days. And for 40 more days, he taught on the kingdom of God for 40 days, right? The whole thing's done. Not only did he die and take all of our sins, but then he rose again victorious, not only over the sins, not only over sickness, but over the devil himself and all the power of the enemy. He rose, and then he, for 40 days, taught about this new realm, this new, uh, new kingdom. There's no better really word than kingdom to use for it. And so... For sin's pay is death, but God's free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that, that's verse 23 there. Let me back it up so it makes sense to you. Slaves to God, the fruit you enjoy is designed to lead you on the road to holiness, and its end, the fruit of being a slave to God or a slave to righteousness, is zoe, for sin's pay is death. In other words, the fruit of sin is death. Where you're heading with sin is death. Death is separation from God. Death is the opposite of the nature of God. Death is the opposite of the power of God. But God's free gift is zoe in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the free gift that we have that we don't have to pay for is the life and the nature of God that we get through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the whole reason Jesus said that he came was so that we would have his life. I mean, like the most unselfish one. Colossians said he laid aside his mighty power and glory and became as a mere man, became as one of us, so that he could seek and save that which was lost. 
so that he could bring back into fellowship that which was out of fellowship. And so I want to look um, at Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. And I'm going to read it actually out of um, Newberry's literal translation. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I'm going to read it first, actually, in um, King James, because most people are used to hearing it there. Luke 4.18. The spirit of... This is Jesus speaking. They, he went in the synagogue, and they gave him the book, and he stood up to read, and he found the place where it was written in Isaiah, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. So Jesus is saying, even this is not of me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Right, we talked in the last series. He did that by faith. He said, right now, this is fulfilled in your ears, and he believed what he said, and it came to pass. Now I want to read it to you literally what, what uh, the Greek literally says. Verse 18. This, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to announce the glad tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the broken in heart, to proclaim to captives deliverance, and to the blind recovering of sight, to send forth the crushed in deliverance, and to proclaim the year of the Lord acceptable. Now, the reason I read it to you in this is um, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, reading this, and um, I thought, man, what in the world is that... Uh, Poor mean, right? I mean, I'll, you always just read it and think like, well, poor means poor. Like you don't have a lot of money. What does it mean? Well, literally, the word for poor is, I don't know, P-T-O-C-H-O-S, patutos. It says it's an adjective describing one who crouches and cowers. One who crouches and cowers. So in other words, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach. What did he anoint me to preach? He anointed me to preach the gospel or the good news or a victory message to those that are couched down and cowed down and cowered over. What does that mean? Well, do you know? No matter where you're at on political spectrum or just in life, some people want to have like, what do they call that? There's like a big social justice movement, right? Social justice. I want social justice. Well, why is that? Well, pause that. So then people are kind of like, well, you know, um, you're no better than me. I'm no better than you. Well, what is, what is that coming from? Where does that come from? That's from what God did 
when he created mankind and said, I made you for dominion. I didn't make you to cower. I didn't make you to, like, to be downcast. I didn't make you to be like that little pup or that little dog. And so in, innately in mankind is that desire to not be beneath someone else. The only place that that actually occurs in life is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. Jesus Christ is the one actually that set women free. In Christ, there is neither male nor female, bond nor free. There's no race. There's no gender in Christ Jesus. And so you can actually see the devil is not creative. All he does is he takes what God has and he what? He perverts it. Actually, I was, I was uh, studying another place this week. I don't remember which scripture it was, but talking about, oh, I was in uh, love scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And I was studying, and I saw the word evil, and I looked up the word evil. Do you know what it said? It didn't say evil was like this bad thing and this terrible thing. It said evil was the absence of good. Isn't that amazing? So you could just have the absence of good, and that's evil. It's amazing. Jesus said, you know, you know to do good and you don't do it, you know, then you're sinning. And so, but there is a cry, there is a heart cry within every person to not be cowed down and pushed down. And Jesus said, that's the whole thing I'm anointed to preach and to declare to you. And of course, he went on to teach you know, about recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty to the inner bruise, preach the acceptable year of the Lord, like today is the day of salvation, today is the day to come to Christ. But he, he came and say, you know, he said he came to do was to take those that are cowed down and say, you don't have to be that way anymore. You've been set free. I've come to tell you, this is really good stuff I've come to tell you. You're not less than somebody else. You're not pushed to the side. You're not invaluable, but I love you, and I'm shedding my blood for you, and I am delivering and setting you free. I'm breaking, like I like how uh, Psalm 63 says, breaks the bonds of iron in two, just gets rid of them, just annihilates them so that you're not cowed down and you're not pushed down. So what happens is in Romans, Paul said, we were slaves to sin to serve its desires, but now we're slaves to what? Righteousness. What does that mean? Do you know what righteousness is? Righteousness means you have a sense of complete belonging, that you don't feel like you're not supposed to be there, that you don't feel like it's someone else's spot, like, okay, I don't want anybody to see me like that I'm right here because I'm not supposed to be here, and somebody's going to find out, and you know, like, what was it, two years ago, this couple... Uh, when President Obama was still in office, they, I think it was, yeah, he was in office, they, they snuck into uh, some of these galas for the president. It was a state dinner, actually. They snuck into the White House into a state dinner. They're not supposed to be there, right? So you know they're probably like the whole time, like they're trying to play up the role and like look the part and okay, here's this and everything. But Jesus, Jesus came so that we didn't have to play the part. 
Remember, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I like to think of it like, you remember the big banquet table at the marriage supper of the Lamb? That we have a place actually at that table. That's a sign for you. The head table. And we're seated up there with Christ in heavenly places. And so when Paul said that we are slaves to righteousness, well, righteousness means you don't have any sense that you are inferior or that you don't belong. So literally what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul was we are no longer slaves to sin or sin consciousness or the consciousness that we keep messing up, that we don't measure up, that no matter how hard we try, we don't feel like we have a place. He said you're slaves to lack of inferiority. You are slaves to knowing this is where I belong. I have no hesitation. I have no doubts because Jesus has brought me in. Jesus is the one, you know, through his blood, we're made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know that 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? That means that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that this righteousness that we are is of God and not of us. That means that we are as righteous as God himself is able or has the ability to make us righteous. That means that we lack as much inferiority as God himself in Christ could take away from us. That means that we have no sense that someone else is supposed to rule over us except for that someone else is the righteousness of God. And so what is supposed to rule us is the knowledge that we belong to God, that we belong in the presence of God, that we belong under the anointing of God, that we belong with the Spirit of God on the inside of us, that we belong with the Word of God on the inside of us, that we're not second-class citizens and we're not second-class believers, but we have a first-class righteousness and we have first-class access and we're first-class children of God. In other words, uh, Jesus is a son of God, and we are a child of God. In other words, the rapport, if I can use that word, that Jesus has with God, our rapport with God is no different. Why is that? Because our access to God is by Jesus Christ. The way we come to God is through Jesus Christ. And so when when Fear tries to come, or like, well, everyone else, everyone else knows God, but I don't know God, or everyone else knows how to do this, but I don't know how to do this. Do you understand? We are slaves either to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. We're slaves to either we're missing it or we're slaves to either we're, we're one with God. We're right there with God. And when we live like that scripture is true, it'll change the way you get up in the morning. It'll change the way you look at your day. It'll change the way you look at yourself. 
Sometimes you get in a situation and you're looking for like, okay, somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to be the answer. You know, you are the answer. In your day, in your situation, in someone's life, you are the answer. And you have um, an anointing from the Holy Spirit. You know, the, like an anointing comes from the Holy Spirit. Like the same Spirit that anointed Jesus to preach this gospel is the same Spirit that anoints us. There's not two Holy Spirits. Right? Think of it, think of it like a magic oil. So if you had like a magic oil and you took this magic oil and like you, you poured it all over me and then I like did these great works and these wonderful things um, and you knew like that's just because that oil was all over me and then I said, would you like me to pour this oil on you? Do you understand? It's like that. So sometimes, well, most of the time, we kind of think of Jesus as a special category of being like he is God. Well, he is. <laughs> but you understand that when he came, he laid aside all of those abilities, all of those powers, all of those riches, and became simply a man. But he was God in the body of a man. Why? Because then God is perfect, God is sinless. He could live perfect and sinless. And if he could live perfect and sinless, he could get us out of the mess that we got in. You understand, like the first temptation of mankind by the devil, the devil used inferiority to conquer man. He said what? Well, God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. But you know you're not. And then, he, of course, he know you're inferior. You know you can't, you can't do this stuff. And then, he, of course, he questioned God and said, well, you know, uh, God, God doesn't want good for you. He, he wants to, like, try to control you and all this type of stuff. You imagine, I imagine it kind of scared the devil how much in the image and the likeness of God, God had made mankind. And I imagine the devil was jealous because he is jealous. And so we were made to live free from fear and to live free from inferiority and from thinking inferior thoughts. In other words, it's funny, they say pastors are like this and in some ways, they are. It's kind of interesting. You get with a group of pastors, and we understand, like, uh, there's special devils in our city. So, in other words, it's kind of like always a reason for why uh, you can't minister or be successful, different things, because of your city. And they used to use the word devils, and now they just say, well, you know, in our area, such and such, in our area, such and such. And um, the, the devil really just wants to have attention put on him, but you're not inferior. You don't lack what you need. I don't really care what your friends say about you. I don't care what your dad said about you. 
I don't care what your mom said about you. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not true. The word of God is true. And you can have someone in your life that talks you down every time they get a chance, that says you're not capable, that says, well, in your case, it's not going to work. Do you understand? They're siding in with the devil. The devil's always the one that's going to feed words to people saying, well, for you, it won't work. Well, you know, I mean, even, you know, I talk about Brother Hagin a lot, and even when he was healed, then he had like this, half of his face, shortly after he was healed, half of his face was paralyzed. I don't even know from what. But half of his face was paralyzed, and the devil said, well, you know, uh, you're not going to get your healing. You're not going to get your healing. And uh, the whole time, well, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, not going to work. And then later he's like, you know, that heart thing's going to come back on you. That's going to come back on you. The devil constantly, he's like a barrage. He's not creative. He's going to keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over until what? You respond to what he says, positive or negative. Like, get thee behind me, Satan. And sometimes the only thing you can do to overcome um, what the devil is saying is having done all to stand, you stand, but then you actually speak your faith. What is your faith speaking? Well, I just want to lift my hands unto the Lord and say, Father God, I thank you that the devil has no power over me, that I don't yield to him, that I don't give him place, and I live in you, and you live in me, and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, and I'm not subject to the devil, I'm not subject to the thoughts of the devil, to the plans of the devil, to the ways of the devil. Demonic forces, actually, when they get in my presence, they flee. They have no right, they have no place. What happens? You're speaking the word of God from a heart that's believing. And the devil can't stay because there is no truth in him. So when we speak the truth, lies have to go. Lies cannot stay. And it's a lie that you're going to be that way the rest of your life. It's a lie that things... uh, around you or in your body or in your mind or in your emotions can't change. Because the truth actually is Jesus changed all of that. You understand like, and I'll probably finish with this for today, you understand that without going to the grave, there is no resurrection. So if Jesus didn't go to the cross, he couldn't rise again, right? He has to first die. But what did he do in death? Do you understand? If you don't yourself go to the cross and see Jesus crucified, that you're going to try to live your life from your own power and your own ways and your fleshly nature. But when you go to the cross with Jesus and you realize that on that cross, every bit of you messing up, every bit of the bad thoughts that you entertain, every bit of sickness and of disease and of lack, every bit of the curse was laid on him. And when it was laid on him, it was lifted off of you. So you can't just go to the resurrection and say, look, the power of God. Do you understand? That is like Adam and Eve going to the uh, tree of life after they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
What did God do? He said, no, I can't. I won't let them live in that state. I won't let them exist eternally in that state. So thank God he set it up so we just have like however many years, you know, 100 years or so, whatever. Um, uh, and that would be only if you don't accept Christ before you're 100. You know, I just talked to somebody this morning who's, I was witnessing somebody this morning who's 80 years old and they're not a believer. 80 years without Christ, but I believe they'll come. And so, um, you know, we are no longer under the power of the devil because all of that was put on Christ and he took it to the grave, but he didn't just bury it in the ground. He took it to the grave and he defeated it. And so if you actually understand death and if you study death a little bit, you'd find out that the only way that you could have life from those things and those sins that are death is if they be planted in the ground first and then life can spring forth. So Jesus has set us free from fear and from being inferior and from lack of belonging and he has brought us in as his own family as his daughter as his son he's brought us in so that we're not um, second class and that we're not trying to figure out what do I need to do in order to measure up? What do I need to do in order to belong? What do I need to do in order to all of the... You know what you need to do in order to do that is say bye-bye to your old life at the cross and say, I'm giving up my life. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me now. When you do that, that is life eternal. Or I like how Jesus said it, that is abundant life. You know how I say that? That is real life. And so real life then takes you from a life of trying to perform and trying this, trying that, trying this, trying that. Well, I'm trying this. Well, I'm trying to be disciplined about this. Well, I'm trying to make this happen. It actually sets you free from that. And that life says, I'm no one. Jesus is everything, and I'm living through him. He is the way I live. And you know what that life does? That life sets you free from the power, listen to me carefully, sets you free from the power of inferiority, sets you free from the power of lack, sets you free from the power of sickness and disease, set you free from the power of hell, set you free from the power of loneliness. How, how do I say that? Because as soon as you get into the presence of God, which you do by Jesus Christ, you have fullness of life. Remember what Jesus said when he was praying to God, it's a wonderful prayer, John 17. Jesus is praying to his father. And he said, Father, that they may have uh, zoe or life. And this is zoe, 
or this is life eternal, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus, right before that in John chapter 10, said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, and this is life, knowing God. And when you know God, think of any situation right now that's a challenge to you. Think of that situation. I want you to put it in the forefront of your mind. Now, know God in that situation. What does that mean? Well, just don't know like, well, God, of course, I know God is bigger than that situation and greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. Those are mental agreement thoughts. I'm talking like from your heart. You get into the presence of God and like, uh, you know, I don't like to quote songs, but I'm going to say this song just for the sake of it. Things of earth grow strangely dim. Yes, Zoe and your relationship with God will affect your finances, but all of a sudden the importance of finances lose their power. Yes, healing and health is for you as the believer, but all of a sudden, the current condition of your body loses its power over you to be your main thrust because all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this is God. I'm in the presence of God. And those things, those earthly things become so trivial because you know him. And that is abundant life. You understand that? We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? That means we have things we have to conquer. And so if you're looking like to arrive from having to conquer stuff, uh, you're going to have to get to heaven. But if you're looking to arrive, you just receive the life of God and you have arrived. And there is nothing that can conquer you. And there is nothing that can dominate you. And there is nothing that can hold you back. When you live that way, whether it's sickness, whether it's disease, whether it's emotions, whether it's your past, it really doesn't matter because Jesus Christ has set you free. And when you live in that freedom, nothing can conquer you. You're more than a conqueror. You cannot be defeated because you're doing it in him. And uh, think of it this way. What's the condition of Jesus right now? As he is, so are we in this world. And so Jesus has defeated all of that. Jesus, most, most believers would say, yes, okay, Jesus defeated all of that. But you understand, if you live in him, all that, that victory over the things that he has defeated are yours and are mine. But really, it only comes through the knowledge of God, like I learned in First Peter. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is alive and powerful, that you sent your word and delivered us and healed us and freed us and gave us light and gave us understanding and showed us the right pathway to go in. Father, I thank you for your spirit, that your spirit lives inside of every single believer and that your spirit has given us strength and that your spirit has given us boldness and that your spirit has shown us the way to go. Father, I thank you that we follow your voice and we don't follow the voice of a stranger because we are your children and we know you. You, and even more importantly, you know us. Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus, that by his blood we come in to your presence. 
Father, I thank you that when we put ourselves aside and we say, Jesus, come, you're my Lord, you're my access, you're my way, that we get to see you every single time. That when we come by the blood, we get to cel uh, uh, celebrate with you, we get to be near you, we get to talk with you and walk with you and see your thoughts and know your ways and be near to you, Father, and smell even of the presence that is heaven, that is your presence. Father, I thank you. Thank you for opening the door to us and making a way and inviting us in and bringing us into your family. I pray for each and every one here and listening that you'll give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation, that you'll flood the eyes of our heart with your light, that we would see and that we would know, Father, the truth of your word and our position with you. Father, thank you for breaking the bonds, breaking the bands that the devil would put on us, the bands that we would put on ourselves of limitation and of lack. Father, thank you for opening up unto us your very presence. Hallelujah. Thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. That when we're faithless, you're still faithful. That when we're confused, you have the right answer. Thank you, Father, that we can't go anywhere where you're not. And so we know if we get to you, we've got the answer. We know if we can just talk to you, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of your Son. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you that there's no place where we go. There's no thought that can come. There's no attack the devil could bring that could conquer Jesus. And so we live in him and we move in him and we find our being in our place and our, uh, what do you call that? Our value in him. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my hope, my all in him. I live and move and breathe. Oh, and find who I am. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for us. Thank you for making a way where it seemed there was no way. Thank you for turning failure into victory. Thank you for turning defeat into victory. Thank you for turning dominion into freedom. Oh, hallelujah. The bonds into freedom. Chains broken. Eyes opened. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.